practical sermon because there's going to be a lot of theology, a lot of uh, information for the first 20 minutes. It's going to get very practical in a few minutes. But the goal of this series, more than anything else, is to help you create an appetite and a desire for where you're going to spend your eternity, where you're going to spend your forever after our time on earth is through. Because let me know, when the time on earth is through, that's just the beginning of forever. It's just a small step to the rest of your eternity. And like I said last week, a lot of times we'll spend a lot of time preparing a vacation that only lasts for a few days. But how much time and energy and thought and thinking do we really put into where we will spend eternity? And so out of all four weeks, this is probably the week that is a little bit more informative, a little bit more theology, not as exciting about getting, not as exciting as getting into the new earth and the resurrected earth, what it's going to be like. Uh, but I believe this message is critically important to lay the foundation for this series. You see, Paul considered it absolutely vital for you to know what happens when you die. Look at this with me, First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We talked about last week. Jesus has overcome death in the grave. We don't have to fear death like other people. We don't have to look at death as people who have no hope. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other's with these words. See, what you need to understand this morning is when a Christian dies, when a believer dies, those of you that are born again, that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that have accepted his free gift of salvation, when you die, theology says that we will go to an intermediate state. We will not go to the heaven that we will spend eternity in. We will go to a present heaven or an intermediate heaven. And it's critical that you understand this. It's very important for the series because we will talk about the new earth or the resurrected earth or the future heaven. But there's an intermediate heaven. There's a present heaven. When we say grandmas died and grandmas in heaven, we're not talking about grandma living in the resurrected earth where we spend eternity. We're talking about an intermediate heaven, a present heaven, a present state that grandma is in that Jesus calls paradise. See, future heaven or or the new earth that we're going to talk about a little bit more in the, the next two weeks is when God takes the present heaven, and unites it with earth, and then it becomes this beautiful, magnificent, majestic, resurrected earth, taking this planet back to God's original intention. See, God created this place to inhabit earth with man. That's what God created, this Garden of Eden-like state with this resurrected earth without the curse of sin, and it's absolutely awesome, and you're going to love getting into the next couple weeks, but this morning I want to talk about the present heaven. 
I want to talk about the place that we consider when grandma dies, where is grandma right now? Where, where is grandma looking down on us from? That's what I want to talk about this morning because I think there's some awesome things to learn and understand about this intermediate place, this, this place that Jesus calls paradise. But one quick note, I want you to understand it is not purgatory. See, the Catholics have a place called purgatory, which is not a biblical concept. It is not found in the Bible. You need to understand that this intermediate place is not a purgatory. You, your sins are completely paid for. Jesus Christ paid for sins once and for all, so we don't need to go anywhere to finish absolving our sins because our sins are paid for once and once and for all, so this intermediate place is not a purgatory. You've got to understand that. So when people ask, will we live in heaven forever? Well, it kind of depends on your definition of heaven. You know, the answer is, will we be with the Lord forever? Absolutely, yes. When you die, Paul says, to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die, you will be present with the Lord forever. Will you be, when you die, the place you are when you die, will that be where you spend eternity No, the Bible says. See, theologians agree there is this intermediate place. There is a a, a stepping stone. Let me me explain it like this. If I'm homeless living in Miami, living in a cardboard box, and somebody comes to me with this absolutely wonderful news, and they say, you know, you're living in a cardboard box, you're homeless, but we built for you the most beautiful, the most incredible mansion right on the beach in Santa Barbara. You'll have all the food, all the money. You'll have servants. You'll have people taking care of every need. You've got this beautiful mansion on the beach in Santa Barbara. You don't have to live in this homeless shelter in Miami anymore. We're going to put you on a plane. We're going to fly you to Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara is your new home. This mansion we built for you is your new home. But when you board the plane, you take a layover in Dallas. Now, how many of you understand? I mean, there's a lot of people that fly American Airlines here, I can tell. (laughs) DFW is our second home if you've ever had to travel. I think I've spent more time in DFW than any other place in my life. But that's the second home for those of us that fly American Airlines. So, you, you have a layover in Dallas. Now, how many know Dallas is not the destination? Dallas is not where we're going. That, that Dallas is not our home. It, it's just a stop. It's just a layover. It's just one quick step in getting us to where we want to go. So when we show up to the ticket counter and somebody says, where are you going? We say, I'm going to Santa Barbara via Dallas or with a layover in Dallas. But no one ever says, my destination is Dallas. They say, my destination is Santa Barbara. And an even better illustration, which is slightly more complicated for us to understand in our human mind, but a more accurate illustration of what will take place with us is imagine living in Miami, you're in the cardboard box, you're in a homeless shelter, wherever you're at, and someone says, I've got a mansion prepared for you. Board this flight, you're going to fly, and then you take your layover in Dallas, but instead of flying to Santa Barbara or anywhere else, after your layover in Dallas, you come right back to Miami. But the Miami you return to is completely different than the Miami you left. The Miami you return to doesn't have sin, doesn't have crime, doesn't have corruption, doesn't have trash on the street. It's this absolutely beautiful, unbelievable Miami that you could have never imagined before. It's completely different than the Miami you left. That's kind of what we as Christians are going to experience. We go to our layover, this present heaven, this intermediate state, kind of where grandma is today. And then we're going to come back to the earth, but it's not going to be the same earth. It's going to be a new earth. 
It's going to be a resurrected earth. It's going to be the earth exactly the way God created it, exactly the way God intended it, and it's going to be this absolute amazing, majestic place that you don't want to miss the next two weeks as we begin to talk about what the new earth, the resurrected earth, is going to be like. But what I want to talk about this morning is this intermediate place, this place that Jesus calls paradise. He tells the the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, the word paradise that Jesus used is a Persian word called paradisia. And it means a walled park or an enclosed garden. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is the same word they used to, to talk about the Garden of Eden. It is a walled park. You know, a lot of people, a lot of theologians consider or believe that the Garden of Eden, this walled park, this paradise, is actually like Central Park in New York. The New Jer- It'll be the Central Park of the New Jerusalem the Bible talks about. The Bible says there's a New Jerusalem that will be united with earth one day on the resurrected earth in our future home, our future heaven. And the Garden of Eden, a lot of theologians think, is Central Park of New Jerusalem. It's kind of like Central Park in New York. Well, it's Central Park of the New Jerusalem. And what you need to understand about this word paradise is it's not just nature at wild. This is nature under the control of mankind. This is nature beautifully landscaped. How many know it's one thing to go out to the mountains and you see nature in the raw and you see nature at wild, but it's another thing when you go to a resort and you see this most beautiful landscaping you've ever seen where they've got the gardens, they've got the flowers, they've got the trails. It's nature under the control of mankind. It's a beautifully landscaped place. That's what Jesus is talking about here, this, this paradise, this, this, this present, this layover that we as human beings take on our way to our future home. So one of the, one of the things I also want you to do this morning, one other quick uh, little lesson in theology is I want you to abandon the assumption that heaven cannot change. See, a lot of people assume that heaven and God are synonymous. Heaven and God are not synonymous. You need to understand that you've got to have that as a basis or it becomes very difficult to try to figure out heaven. If you believe heaven is unchangeable, if you believe heaven and God are synonymous, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding the rest of this series. See, you need to understand heaven was created by God. Only God and God himself is eternal. Only God is completely self-existent. Heaven is not where God has to dwell. Heaven is where God chooses to dwell. And you got to have this foundation of understanding. you got to know that there is a difference between the intermediate heaven, the present heaven, where, where grandma is today, and the future heaven, the resurrected earth, the new earth that we will spend all of eternity. Because a lot of people, they use one word to describe both of them, and it's the word heaven. And because we use one word to describe both of them, it gets very confusing. You know, there is a heaven that is just our layover, And there is a heaven the Bible talks about that is our future home, the new earth. And I know this, you just got to follow me. We're building a foundation here. So you got to get these assumptions that heaven and earth are not, or, or heaven and God are not the same thing. God created heaven. God chooses to live in heaven. He doesn't have to live there. He chooses to live there. And what we see throughout scripture, especially in the revelations, is that heaven in the future is relocated to the new earth. 
God takes the new Jerusalem and he, and he establishes it. He fuses it with earth. And this earth that we live in today becomes a resurrected earth. It becomes a new earth. The old earth passes away and it becomes a, a new earth, resurrected without the curse of sin, back to the original Garden of Eden-like state. Look at Revelations chapter 21. Revelations 21, verse 1 and 2 with me. You can follow on the screens. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Now, for those of you that are surfers, it's not talking about the sea as the oceans are gone. The oceans will still exist. The sea back in the, uh, 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 this time period was a very scary, a very dreadful. People lost family members at sea. It was a, it was a frightful place. There were storms at sea. It's talking about the, the evil aspects of sea. It's not because there's a different word for oceans than there is for sea. So it's not saying the oceans are passing away. So those of you that are surfers, relax for a second. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The new Jerusalem comes down out of this present heaven, and it fuses with earth, becoming a resurrected earth, a new earth. See, we see heaven being relocated, and you also have to understand the same way there's an intermediate heaven, there's a present heaven, there's also an intermediate or a present hell. Because we know that not everyone who dies their name is not always written in the book of life. There are a lot of people who choose not to accept Christ, who choose not to accept the free gift of salvation. And so there has to be a place for them. And there's an intermediate hell because in Revelations 20, 14 and verse 15, we see the intermediate hell being relocated to the future hell just like we see the intermediate heaven being relocated to the future earth. Revelations 20, 14 through 15. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown in to the lake of fire. So we see hell being relocated, we see heaven being relocated. So if we understand this, there's two questions we need to ask, two questions that I hope to answer throughout this series. Number one, what is heaven like? Not the future heaven, the present heaven. What is heaven right now like? Where is grandma and what is it like? That's the first question we're going to talk about today. And the second question we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks is what will heaven be like? What will the future of heaven look like? The new earth, the resurrected earth, the beauty, the the majesty, the magnificence of this resurrected earth that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. But let's start now with what this intermediate state, what does the layover look like? You know, what does our layover look like? Where is grandma today and what is it like? And let me give a quick disclaimer. Now, a lot of the uh, questions I'm going to ask right now about the intermediate state, about the layover we have on the way to the new earth, are based on educated assumptions out of Scripture. Some of these are not definitive, and I'll make sure you understand which ones are not definitive because there are aspects of the new earth that we know it's going to be like that, period. That's what describes the new earth. When it comes to this layover state, it's a little bit more fuzzy, but based on what Scripture says, we can make a very good educated assumption of what it must be like, but some of these are going to be assumptions, and I just want to give you that disclaimer going there. First question, is this present heaven, this, this, this intermediate state, this layover that we take on the way to the new earth, is it part of our universe or is it somewhere else? 
Is it, is, it, is it part of our universe, maybe in an unforeseen realm or dimension, or is it completely in another place? Because we also understand that this present heaven, the intermediate heaven, the layover, is normally invisible to those of us living on earth. I don't know the last time you saw uh, heaven, but I haven't seen it since I've been born. Now, we do know in Scripture certain people's eyes were open to see into it, and I want to talk about that. If you understand you know, modern secular science, there's a number of scientists that have recently uh, developed a theory they call the string theory out of Yale, Princeton, Stanford. And this is what the string theory basically states. It says, there are unobservable dimensions and likely an infinite number of imperceptible universes. This is what secular science is saying today that they believe there are are a number of imperceptible universes, a number of uh, infinite number of dimensions that we as human beings cannot see into. So if modern scientists believe this, then why is it so difficult for us to believe that there is a heaven and hell that we can't see, that there are demons and angels that we can't see that, that may be part of our reality, but may be in another dimension or another realm that we can't see into, Because we do see in Scripture at different times people who were human, people that were alive, flesh and blood, just like us, had their eyes open to see into this other reality, to see into this alternate dimension. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, now, just real quick notice, it doesn't say he saw Jesus floating next to God as a spirit. He said he saw Jesus standing next to God. I mean, to stand, you've got to have some physical form. Because if in this present heaven, we were all just mystical, disembodied spirits, you wouldn't have the ability to stand. Stephen didn't see Jesus floating next to God. He saw Jesus standing next to God. Verse 56, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, if you understand scripture, there's what uh, a lot of people call apocalyptic literature, the book of revelations, a lot of it's symbolic. This is not apocalyptic literature. This is historical literature. The Bible does not say Stephen had a vision of heaven. It said Stephen's eyes were open to see into heaven. So if Stephen's eyes were open to see into heaven, That gives me the educated assumption, and I'm not saying I'm right, I'm just saying it's my personal assumption that heaven must be a part of our universe in in an alternate dimension, an alternate reality that we with our human eyes just can't see unless God supernaturally opens our eyes to see it. But if he does choose to supernaturally open our eyes, heaven must be somewhere in the vicinity for Stephen to be able to see into heaven and actually see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Another illustration of this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Here's another story of a young man's eyes open to this alternate dimension, this alternate uh, uh, reality. And he sees angels and horses and chariots of fires surrounding the hillside that he could not see in his natural eyes. But when his eyes were supernaturally open, he could see into this other world. See, the, the, let me, let's go to the next question. Is this present heaven, is this layover, this intermediate place that grandma's living at today, is it physical or is it only spiritual? Because there's a big debate. 
Because there's a lot of Christians today who believe if it's physical, it can't be good. That somehow if something is physical, it's less special or it's less sacred than if it was spiritual. Because spiritual is good and physical is bad. And where do we get this philosophy? Well, it was developed by a Greek philosopher named Plato in what he calls Platoism. Which was basically, if it's material, if it's physical, its nature is evil. And if it's spiritual, if it's, if it's not physical, it's spiritual, like your soul or heaven, then its nature is good. And what happened is that philosophy has infiltrated the church. And so a lot of us have a hard time believing that heaven could be physical because if it was physical, it wouldn't be good. And that's why a lot of Christians today, they think that heaven is just going to be disembodied spirits floating along clouds. And no wonder it doesn't appeal to us. Because every joy, every pleasure that we experience on earth, we experience through our physical senses. So for us trying to imagine a place where we can't experience things with our senses, it's hard to develop an appetite for that. It's hard to think about enjoying going to a place like that. But for so many of us, we have a hard time believing that it could be physical. Look at Hebrews 13 verse 2. Uh, 13 verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. How many know if you entertain an angel without realizing it, that angel must be in some physical form? Because I guarantee if you, if you entertained a ghost or a spirit, you would realize it. You know, if Casper knocked on your door and you invited him in for dinner, you would definitely know you just entertained something other than human. But obviously, there's people who entertain angels and don't even know it. Why? Because they take on physical form. Well, if angels can take on this physical form, then can't this layover place, this intermediate heaven, have some bit of physical to the spiritual? I believe it can. I believe there's aspects that absolutely the, the, the new Jerusalem, where it is currently, this present heaven, can have elements that are physical and elements that are spiritual. Uh, another question people ask is, will we remain conscious after death? Do you lose complete consciousness until Christ returns, or do you remain your conscious? Can you still have intellectual capacity after you die in this present place uh, where grandma is today? Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus telling the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise, which leads me to the assumption that, yes, he will be conscious after he dies, because Paul said to be absent of the body is to be present with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 is what Paul says. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, there's a physical part of us that sleeps. We know that our physical bodies, when they die, we put them into cemeteries. We cremate them. We bury them. Uh, we, we put them in different ways. So we know that our physical body dies on earth and waits to the time of resurrection but I believe that the, the spiritual part of us is fully awake and alive with Christ. So it leads me to the next question. In this layover place, in this present heaven where grandma is today, does she have some physical form or is she just a spirit floating along the clouds with Jesus? Well, if you understand that God and angels are spirits, but man was all, understand that God and angels are spirit. We understand that they can take on physical form, but they're spirits, but man always was physical and spiritual. You will never see an instance where man was spiritual without being physical. The Bible says God created our bodies first, then he breathed our spirit into the body. So the spirit wasn't alive without the body. The body came first and God breathed the spirit into the body. So it is debatable. 
I understand it is very debatable, but it's also very likely that between our earthly life and our bodily resurrection, God may grant us some uh, physical form for us to exist in this layover place that grandma up right now in heaven who's passed away and is up there watching us today, it's, it's very likely and it's completely realistic that she has some physical form up there that God granted her until her earthly body is fully resurrected into a resurrected body where we spend uh, our eternity on the new earth. Revelation 6 and verse 11. It says, then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. So God is giving them each a white robe in heaven. Well, again, if you're going to ha- wear clothes, you've got to have some physical form to wear clothes. And that could be a complete symbolistic thing. But look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my physical body or out of my body, I do not know, only God knows. What I want you to understand about this scripture here is Paul does not dismiss the fact that it is very possible we could have had a physical form. If Paul in this third heaven was complete spirit, then he would have said, I was in a spiritual form. I was out of my body. But Paul is not saying that. Paul's saying, I don't know. So he leaves it open to debate. He leaves it open that it's very likely we can have some bit of physical form in this present heaven. Verse, fifth question, we're we're coming to the end. Will you remember your life on earth? Will you remember anything bad in this layover place? Now, we know that the Bible says he will wipe every tear from your eye and there'll be no sorrow in heaven. But what he's talking about is the resurrected heaven, the resurrected earth, the new earth, this present heaven, this intermediate space, this, this layover that we take to our future home. Is it possible for you to remember your life on earth? Will you remember your life on earth? Will you remember the good things and the bad things that happened to you? Because a lot of people debate, if you can remember anything bad in heaven, is it heaven? But look at Revelations 6, verse 9 and 10 again. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the Lord of, of God, or for the Word of God, and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? So we see the martyrs here who are in this present heaven. They understand, they remember everything that happened to them. See, I personally believe that given our improved minds and our clear thinking when we go to this place, that our memory will probably be better than our memory here on earth. Because the Bible does say that at judgment, we are going to give an account for every word, every action, and every deed that we ever committed or said on this earth. So I do believe that we will remember the things that happen on earth. Jesus tells a story about the rich man in Lazarus. Jesus said in Luke 16, there was a certain man rich who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, uh, it says, where did we go? Excuse me. I lost my place. 23, here we go. Uh, I need to scroll down. Here we go. I just, these iPads, man, I need, to, I need to learn to have physical notes. These iPads disappear on you if you touch it wrong. 
As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and kick, lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died, was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames." So we see him have his consciousness, and then he goes on to say at the, end of the, at the end of the passage, the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. We see here the rich man remembering his brothers in hell. He is in hell, and he's remembering his brothers, and he's begging, pleading, send somebody to share the message of Christ with my brothers. I don't want them to end up here. So I do believe it's very possible that we will remember what happened to us on earth when we're in this intermediate place, when we have this this layover stop in the present heaven. And what you have to understand is that happiness in the present heaven is not based on ignorance. It's based on perspective. I don't believe that God's going to do a memory wipe on you. I don't believe that God's just going to wipe out all of your memory. You're not going to ever remember anything. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be a completely different person with a completely different memory and a completely different identity. I believe you're going to regain who you are. You're going you're to remember who you are. You're going to remember your loved ones. as Just as the rich man remembered his brothers on earth, you're going to have faculty over your loved ones on earth. Number six, can people pray in heaven? I've got one more question after this, and we're going to speed through this. Can people pray for us in heaven? Uh, Revelation 6.10, again, it says, The martyrs shouted, Lord, how long before you judge the people? They're praying. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. So obviously, with our righteous state in heaven, we're going to be able to pray more than we've ever prayed on earth because it's simply just talking to God. But what I want you to understand clearly is you should not, just because our Loved ones, grandma in heaven may be praying for me. It's highly possible. She's talking to God for me. She's watching what's happening on earth. She may be talking to God on my behalf. But what I want you to understand is you should not ever pray to your loved ones who are dead, pray to saints who are dead, and even pray to the Virgin Mary. The Bible says pray only to Christ. Pray only to the Father through Christ. You should never pray to anyone else, but it's very, very likely they may be praying for you. Now, the last question as we close, will we be judged in heaven? And this is where it gets very practical. I know everything up until this point was more of a college lesson. It was a lot of information for you to understand, for you to think about. Now it gets very practical to our life on earth. Will we be judged in heaven? Most theologians agree there are two judgments for believers, two judgments for those of us that are born again, that call ourselves Christ followers. There's first what some people coin, it's not a biblical term, but some people coin the judgment of faith. What is that? That's basically them looking up the book of life and seeing if your name is written in the book of life, seeing if you have a reservation secure in heaven for all eternity. And what you need to understand about this judgment, it is completely by grace. It is completely by faith. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't be good enough to get it. This judgment is simply whether or not you accepted Christ by faith through grace. That's it. Do you understand? You don't work for it. Your salvation is an absolute free gift of God. But there's a second judgment after they determine whether or not your name is written in the book of life, there is a second judgment that they don't exactly know for believers when it occurs. Some people believe it's pre-trib. Some people believe it's mid-trib. Some people believe it's post-trib for you tribulation junkies. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always been of the, the, the theory of pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. Don't worry about when the rapture is going to happen. When it's, it's, it's all going to work out. Just love Jesus. But 
there is a second judgment that we need to understand. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, for, me, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So let me clarify this again. We're not talking about salvation. There are two goals for every human being. Goal number one, salvation. While we are sinners, our number one goal is get saved. Accept Christ through grace, not through works, not through earning it, not through being a good enough person. After you get saved, your goal becomes rewards. Because whether you understand this or not, when you get to heaven, you will be judged based on your Christian life, not whether or not you go to heaven. Going to heaven is the free gift of salvation, but when you get to heaven, you will be given rewards, prizes for eternity based on how you live the rest of your Christian life on earth after you got saved. Let me explain it like this. There's a rich man that wants to do a school for children in the inner city. So out of his love, out of his grace, he sets up this school that is absolutely free of charge for any child that wants to go to the school. But let's say one of the children that goes to the school decides he wants to work hard and he wants to excel. So he works really hard in this school. He, he studies, he's diligent, he gets scholarships, he gets reward, he gets blessed because of his hard work in the school. Now he got into school by grace. He got into school from the love of the rich man, period. Because there's other children that got into school who didn't excel. They all made it into the school but it's those that excel that are rewarded. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, if you know Paul, Paul was absolutely anti-salvation by works. Paul was a grace preacher. So what's he talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27? Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And then Philippians 3, 14, I press on to reach the end of the grace and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let me say it like this. Watchman Nee said, according to the scripture, after you are saved, you are placed by God on the race course of life that you may run. If you win, you shall be rewarded. If you lose, you shall not be rewarded, yet you still won't lose eternal life because of defeat. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your salvation is free. Getting your name in the book of life, you don't earn it, you don't work for it. It is the grace of God and his grace alone. But after you get saved, God puts you on the race course of life and you will be judged for how you lived your Christian life. And you will be rewarded and given authority in the new earth and the new heaven based on how you lived your life on earth. And I know it can be a little confusing. I know some of you right now have no idea what I'm saying, but read the Bible, study it, go through the scripture. You will see this over and over. And the beauty of it is you don't have to earn the rewards through your own effort. You can earn it by living in the spirit. God will give you the power. He'll give you the grace. So what are quickly, just a couple things, forgiveness, forgiveness. You'll be judged on your forgiveness. Will you forgive others, people that betrayed you, people that hurt you, people that, 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 that did terrible things to you? That's one of the things that will get you eternal prizes, giving. 
The Bible says, are you laying up treasures on earth or are you laying up treasures in heaven? See, there's a lot of people that don't want to give to the work of Christ. They don't want to give to the work of God. They want to give to their self. They, they lay up treasures for their self. But the Bible says when you invest in God's work on earth, you're laying up treasures in heaven. Now, I'm not saying you should be foolish and give absolutely everything to the church because that's not stewardship and that's not God. God said a godly man will leave an inheritance to his children and children's children. How many know you can't leave an inheritance to your grandchildren if you give everything to the church? But there is an element of giving to God's work on earth that you will be judged by when you get to heaven. Scripture is clear about it. Serving the poor. That's a huge area. When you take care of the least of them, you're building rewards in heaven. When you're serving the poor and those in need. There are so many different areas throughout scripture that you can live your life for eternal prizes. So the challenge I want to leave you with today, I know it's been more of a college lesson, but what I'm trying to do is I want you to begin to ask God, I want you to spend some time in meditation today and really ask God, what are you running the race for? What prizes are you aggressively going after? Because Paul said, run to win. You don't have to run arbitrarily. You can know what you're running for. You can know the prizes you're running for. You can train. You can work. What I want you to do is I want you to ask God, what race does God have you on right now? And how are you doing? How are you doing in your race right now? Are you running to win? Are you running for the prize? Or are you just happy enough just to get into heaven? Look, you know, salvation's enough for me. The grace, that's fine. I'm going to live the rest of my life however I want to live. All I want is the ticket to heaven. That's wonderful. I mean, that's what Jesus is there for. That's his salvation. But are you running to truly build for eternity? Are you running for the rewards and the prizes that God's going to give you in eternity? See, I want to live my life building treasure in heaven, not building treasure on earth. I'm only here for a few short years. I mean, I've never seen a a hearse with a U-Haul trailer behind it. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have a U-Haul trailer following the hearse one day. But we can build prizes in eternity. We can build prizes in heaven by how we run our race here on earth. Close your eyes with me quickly. That Rubio's is smelling good and I'm ready. But before we close, I need to ask you quickly. Is your name written in the book of life? Plain and simple. Is your name written in the book of life? Because you can leave here today and be absolutely certain. You can know 100% for sure today, this morning, that your name is written in the book of life. I mean, it's clear. Those whose names are not found in the book of life are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And I'm not a doomsday preacher, but I am a Bible preacher. And I know it's not popular to preach the Bible in the world we live in. We like to preach motivational messages in most of our churches. But I got to let you know, I have to preach the Bible. And there's elements of the Bible that do motivate us. I could stick to the happy parts of the Bible, but I would be doing you a disservice. If I didn't let you know this morning, you can leave here today knowing your name is written in the book of life. How do you know you accept the grace of God, plain and simple? You don't work for it. You don't earn it. This is not about rewards right now. Rewards are something you run for. Rewards are something you earn. I'm talking about salvation, which is the free gift of God. To get your name in the book of life, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to run for it. You just accept it, plain and simple. 
So if this morning you are not absolutely convinced your name is written in the book of life, you've never accepted the free gift of God's grace, the gift of salvation, the gift of Jesus Christ. Before we close, with every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know my name is in the book of life. Right now, just slip up your hand with no one looking around. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can everyone stand with me? There are many of you across the room that raised your hand. What I'd like you to do right now is just pray this prayer after me. And I'd like the entire church to pray this prayer with me to encourage those that raised their hand for the very first time so that you can know when you leave here today, your name is in the book of life. Say, dear God, I need a second chance. I received the free gift of Jesus Christ. By faith, through grace. And now I know you are writing my name in the book of life. I have my reservation secure for eternity. And now you're placing me on the race course of life. Let me run to win in the name of Jesus. If you raise your hand, there's going to be a number of leaders at lunch today. I'll be at lunch today. Come and tell me you raised your hand for the first time. I'd love to talk to you about the decision you made. I'd love to give you just a couple next steps on what you want to do as a believer, follower of Christ, how you, how you need to get prepared to run this race. Paul said, I discipline my body. That's part of it. We discipline ourselves to run the race for eternal prizes. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about it at lunch today. Uh, we're going to have a great time. Well, it's lunchtime. I'm hungry. I know you're hungry. I hope everyone can stay and just get to know people. At lunch today, try to find somebody you don't know and get to know somebody you don't know. Let's really use lunch today to try to connect with people and meet people that we've never met. Father, bless lunch in the name of Jesus. Amen. If everybody would exit out the doors right here on the Cali Barcelona side, we're going to have the serving line through these doors, so these doors will be closed. We'll see you at lunch.